Miracle. Um, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity, which arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Um, this is a very unusual definition of miracle. And on your handout, does everybody have a handout on miracles now? You have this handout on miracles? On your handout, um, it says that this definition takes into account our previous understanding of God's providence. That is, we had talked about God preserving, controlling, and governing all things. And, and so I think this is better than... If, if I just asked you what you said, what's a miracle? You would probably say, oh, that's when God does something in the world. No. Okay? Or when God intervenes in the world. Or something like that. The problem is... If we really believe that the Lord Jesus is carrying along all things by his word of power, if we think that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, uh, then if we say, oh, a miracle is when God acts in the world, <laughs> that implies that he's not acting in the world all the time, all the rest of the time. That's this first kind of alternative definition, which I'm not agreeing with, a direct intervention of God in the world. This assumes a deistic view. This assumes that God is separate from the world. He just set it up, he just created it, wound it up like a clock and let it go, and he's not in it regularly every day. So this isn't really a, a, a good definition. Um, he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The sun comes up, that's God working in the world because he's controlling it. So, uh, so that's not a good definition. Well, another one is, God working without means to bring about the results he wishes. Sometimes people have said that. I don't like that definition either, because, because then I don't think anything's a miracle. What, what kind of miracle would there be where God didn't use any means? When he fed the uh, 5,000, he used means. He used five loaves and two fishes and just multiplied them. And, uh, or two fish. I guess fishes is an ancient way of saying it. Doesn't the King James Version say fishes? Okay, five loaves and two fish, modern English. Um, or when Jesus turned the water to wine, he used some stone jars there, uh, water. In fact, in our home Bible, our home fellowship Bible study, we were looking at that last week, and, so, and I had information where you can look on the website of the uh, Israel Museum in Israel, and they've found water jars that just look like this. They're about this high. They're made out of stone, and you can see a picture of them. Um, and uh, it's kind of fascinating. Well, but Jesus used means there when he changed water into wine. So he, uh, so this doesn't seem like a good, like a good definition of miracle. Oh, how about an exception to natural law or God acting contrary to the laws of nature? Um, now that's you might think of that as a good definition of miracle, and that's not so bad. It's not so bad. Except, except the problem is there. It's, it's what people have in their mind when they talk about natural law or the laws of nature. It's sort of like this stuff just goes on acting like wood apart from God. It's just kind of a law. It just has a law unto itself. And then it's a, it's a view that kind of excludes God from, from the definition. So I'm not sure that that's even the best. Uh, this assumes that God must intervene or break these laws for a miracle to occur. And I, I think the, the laws of nature are just the fact that God ordinarily regulates in certain ways to preserve characteristic things he's created. Well, here's another addition. It's an event that's impossible to explain by ordinary, by natural causes. Impossible to explain by natural causes. Well, I, I'm not even sure that that's a good definition because it makes you really skeptical. You see, um, it doesn't include God in it. Impossible to explain by natural causes. And it assumes that God does not use some natural causes when he works in an unusual or amazing way. So I think when God works in an unusual way, sometimes he, he works through natural causes. 
And actually, this definition of God working apart from natural causes, it will result in significant minimizing of the actual miracles that occur and an increase in skepticism, since many times when God works in answer to prayer, the result is amazing to those who prayed, but it's not absolutely impossible to explain by natural causes, especially for a skeptic who simply refuses to see God's hand at work. We, I had an instance once where... Um, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but uh, Margaret and I are living in Illinois. A friend, we had um, a friend called us. She said, "Could I, I? I'm on my way to the hospital to get a chest X-ray, but could, would you mind if I came by the house and and could you pray for me?" So we said, "Sure." Well, it turns out she'd been going two or three weeks with this cough and chest congestion, and it wouldn't go away, and I don't know, a long time, and the doctor couldn't figure it out. Finally said, we better go chest x-ray. I don't know what to do. Medicine's not taking care of it. So she came by our house. It was really remarkable. We just, Margaret and I and, and this woman, I'll call her Julie, not her name. Uh, we, we, we sat in our living room, and we started to talk, and uh, I said, what's, what's the situation? And she said, well, it's been going on for a long time, and the doctor doesn't know what's wrong. So we just sat there and prayed. We said, Lord, Lord Jesus, will you please take away Julie's chest congestion and her cough? And she's breathing kind of heavily. And we just waited silently there for a minute. And then um, what happened, as I best can explain it, um, was uh, Margaret kept having this word anger go over and over in her mind. And so she just said, I just, I just keep getting this word anger. And, and Julie went like this. She said, that's it. And then she started amidst some tears to tell how 11 years earlier, when her uh, son had been born, her parents had been unhappy with the man she married, so they hadn't given her a baby shower. And in her extended family, that was just an incredible insult. And the last, within the most recent month, she'd had to go to two baby showers for other relatives and relive that pain all over again. And so and she was crying as she talked about her son was now 11. And so she was, she was a mature Christian, and I didn't need to go into long explanations. I just said, Julie, I know you've probably asked the Lord's forgiveness for this before, and I know this was wrong that was done to you. I don't, I'm not excusing the wrong, but would you mind just praying and asking the Lord's forgiveness for any wrong way that you've responded again and for that anger? And so she did. She just very quietly just said, Lord Jesus, I, I give that back to you. I ask that you'd forgive my anger toward my parents about this. And then I'm just to tell you, we'll get into this in a few more weeks, but sometimes when there's a long-term pattern of anger, I think that, that the enemy, that Satan can come in and stir up additional uh, stronghold there or influence there. And so I just said, uh, any evil spirit troubling Julie, any spirit of anger or spirit of affliction, be gone in the name of Jesus. Just, it's just that way. It was, maybe, it was maybe a little bit stronger, maybe be gone in the name of Jesus. It was that strong, but it wasn't any more big deal. And when I said that, she said, 
I can breathe. And it was all gone. And she went to the hospital and got an x-ray and there wasn't anything. Well, we were just thankful for that. It was just the Lord. And it was a combination of physical and relational and spiritual and emotional, all stuff tied in together. Well, fast forward a month or two, I was at this same Evangelical Theological Society meeting that I'm going to go to in Washington, D.C., although this was, I don't know, it was in Texas or California because it meets different places. But anyway, and I was telling a friend who's a professor at another seminary, just standing in the hallway, telling him about this, just being thankful to, to the Lord. But he subscribed to the view that miracles don't happen today. They ended in the time of the New Testament. And so he spent about 10 minutes trying to think through all the other reasons why this could have happened instead of God doing something. Maybe it was her, you know, she got psychological relief. Or, you know, it was just, it was all naturalistic explanation. I thought, you're a professor at a seminary? But that's this, if you get to this definition of you, you can't explain it by natural causes, well, skeptics will always think of some reason they can do. You know, it's like those people that had ice on the Sea of Galilee to explain why Jesus walked on water. Yes, hello. Uh, that, that, that's why the disciples are really amazed and Peter sank and everything. Okay. Um, um, so I think that, so I think a definition is better where a miracle is simply a less common way of God's working in the world. That just, that just reminds us that God is always working in the world. But when he works in less common ways, like taking away chest congestion and a cough just instantly as we pray, well, then we say, oh, Lord, thank you. And it arouses people's awe and wonder, and uh, it seems to be preferable. So that's the definition I have on your handout at the top in italics, a less kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and, and bears witness to himself. So now, just real quickly, I'll go through this uh, biblical terminology because sometimes in the Bible... It doesn't use the word miracle, but it means miracle. There are other words that the Bible uses for miracle. Sign, wonder, mighty work. These are the words that you sign, Hebrew oath, Greek semeon, and Ben Burdick, thanks for putting the beautiful Hebrew and Greek font in this uh, PowerPoint transparency. Ben gets these ready for me. Um, and uh, a wonder, a mopheth, or a teros in Greek, an event that causes people to uh, be amazed. So, so a wonder. People, people say, wow, I'm wondering. I'm, 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 I'm astounded. Or a sign. They say, this pointing to God. In John's gospel, you get signs a lot. Or they call it a miracle or a mighty work. Gabura in Hebrew, adunamis in Greek. It's an act displaying great power. And sometimes you get these words piling up together like signs and wonders. So in Exodus, I, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, yet he will not let you go. Or Acts 4.30, the early church was praying for boldness to preach and then said, they said, Lord, while well, you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So signs and wonders, it isn't the word miracle, but that's what it means. It means miracle, that those things that point to God because they're a sign, they're wonders because they cause people to be amazed. Uh, and Paul talks about his preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders and mighty works in 2 Corinthians 12.12. 12. Um, now, who does this? 
God. God is the one who performs miracles or wondrous things. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Exodus 15:11. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And they're looking back at the parting of the Red Sea, an incredible miracle. They're looking back at the plagues in Egypt, but the people of Israel were protected. Incredible miracles. Who is like you, O God? You do this. When they see that, it can't be explained. They 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 show that uh, God alone is doing Or Psalm 136, 4, To him alone does great wonders, for his steadfast endures forever. And you do get some magical things or probably some demonic things by uh, unbelievers or by people following, following other religions. And Pharaoh, when uh, uh, Moses was doing these signs and wonders in Egypt, Pharaoh uh, uh, had his... Um, Magicians come and they cast down their staff and they became serpents. But look at this, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. <laughs> so, too bad. <laughs> you lose. Um, so, uh, God's power is greater. And I'm, I'm sure in missionary situations, maybe we've heard of stories where uh, the witch doctor or something has tried to put a curse on Christians or tried to work some uh, uh, hex or something, and that the power of the Lord has been much greater to triumph over the power of evil spirits. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats they could not. Uh, the magicians said, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Or when Elijah confronted the priests of Baal on Marmal, this is not word for word, this is just a summary, 1 Kings 18, 17 to 40, the fire from heaven demonstrated that the Lord was the one true God because, because they kept calling out to Baal, oh, Baal, hear us, and Baal didn't send any fire on the altar. And then uh, Elijah prayed after this. He said, oh, dump more water on the altar, etc." And then he prayed, oh, Lord God of Israel, hear me, answer me. And then God sent down fire and consumed all the water and the sacrifice and just burned up everything, and then the people saw that the Lord was the one true God. The incarnation of Jesus as the God-man uh, and Jesus' resurrection from the dead are, are the central and most important miracles in all history. Um, of course, our salvation depends on those. And we'll talk more about the person of Christ in future weeks and about Christ's resurrection there are, other many, there are other major miracles in the Old Testament. As I mentioned, the, the plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, while well, the people of Israel walked through on dry land, uh, the manna in the wilderness, the water from Iraq, miracles in the life of Elijah and Elisha, with even raising of the dead, and, um, and many other things like that. So there, there is the, Bible, the story of the Bible is the story of God performing miracles. And then in the New Testament as well, we'll get to a number of those. Now, um, can we consider unusual answers to prayer to be miracles? I, I think so. I think so. It's, it's, I mean, sometimes miracles are, you know, Peter saying to the lame man, I have no silver or gold, but such as I have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he just, he just tells him, rise up and walk. And, and the man rises up and walks. And Jesus, of course, um, speaks a word. And, and the, the blind man is healed or the lame man walks. Or he says, Lazarus, come out. And, and Lazarus, who had died, comes out of the grave. So sometimes these miracles are worked just by somehow commanding the, um, the illness to leave or, the, or, or speaking a word, a powerful word in the authority of, of, of God himself. But sometimes there are just answers to prayer are miracles uh, that arouse people's awe and wonder. And... Um, 
1 Kings 18, 24, uh, this is Elijah again. You call upon the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. There's answer to prayer. So Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I'm your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So there was great testimony to the power of God. But this is in answer to Elijah's prayer. Um, or here, the end of Acts, last, last chapter of Acts, Paul comes and he finds uh, oh, uh, he's on this island, is it? I think it is. Um, uh, the, Acts 28.8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And so there again, uh, God is just giving answers to prayer, which are miraculous answers to prayer and it results in the advancement of the gospel. So it seems to me when an answer to prayer is so remarkable that people involved with it are amazed and acknowledge God's power, that I think, let's call it a miracle. And this is consistent with the definition um, of God working in unusual ways in the world, or less common ways, to arouse people's awe and wonder and bear witness to himself. Um, and I don't think we should ignore these answers to prayer. You know... I don't know if it's been the case, if you're in a home fellowship group, we were just talking in our group last week, how many answers to prayer we've seen over the last three years, just time and again with regard to marriages, children, jobs, health, place to live, um, just protection, and, and, and it's just, it, it's been remarkable. And I don't know if we'd call all those miracles, we just call them answers to prayer, but, but there's something in our hearts, I suppose, isn't there, that says, Oh, maybe it would have happened anyway. Do you ever, do you ever think that? And I, I know when I used to meet with students back at uh, at Trinity, we'd meet every week uh, in a little advising group and we'd pray for things. And then all of a sudden, we'd come back the next week. Oh yeah, that turned out great. And do we see that as an answer to prayer or not? My answer is, if you pray for something and it happens, then the eyes of faith see that as an answer to prayer. Okay. If you pray for something and then it turns out the way you prayed, I would see it as an answer to prayer. And I, and and I, I'm not going to say it's a miracle all the time because sometimes they're just answers to prayer and they're not just really spectacular. They're just God working in quiet ways. It it just the little things. Lord, I lost that. Will you help me to find it? And then I lift up the book and then it's under there. That's not a miracle, but I thank you, Lord. See, maybe I would have lifted it up if I hadn't prayed. I don't know that. What I do know is I prayed and then I found the book. Okay. Huh? Little a little miracle. I don't know. Miraclette. I don't know. Uh, no, but uh, but I but I'm kind of digressing from the miracle question, and I'm just talking about answers to prayer, and just be thankful to God. I think He wants us to do that. Okay, and don't try to explain them away. Now, now I want to get to having just talked about what miracles are in general. I'm going to argue here that it seems to me that miracles are characteristic of the New Covenant age. What's the New Covenant age? The Old Covenant was under Moses, all right, from Moses to the time of Jesus' death. 
But from Jesus' death to the time that Jesus returns is the new covenant age. That's the age we're living in when we take communion. This cup, this cup, this this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So we're we're proclaiming the Lord's death at the period of the new covenant. Covenant is a a, re, a relationship between God and His people. Um, the covenant terms define how He relates to His people in those times. Now, it seems to me. It seems to me, <clears throat> as I look at the Bible, it seems to me that miracles are not just characteristic of the life of Elijah and the life of Moses and the life of Jesus and Paul. It seems to me, as I read the Bible, that miracles are characteristic of the new covenant age, the time from Jesus' death and resurrection to the time he returns. Now that has powerful implications for us because that's the age in which we're living. And so part of what I want to do in talking about miracles here, I want to just, I want to encourage my own faith to pray more and to have a greater expectation that God will answer in wonderful ways when we pray. And I want to encourage you in that way, too, by saying, hey, look, isn't this what the Bible says about the nature of the age in which we live? But in order to make that argument, I've got to answer, my friends, at some other seminaries who write books saying, oh, these things can't happen today. Okay? So that's, what, that's where we're going here. Uh, but the practical application is to stir up our hearts to greater faith. Are there mistakes that people make who say there are miracles today? Oh, yeah, and I'm not responsible for any of those. <laughs> we'll talk about those. Uh, but I think that the, there is New Testament teaching here. Okay, so first, Jesus' miraculous signs attested that he had come from God. John 3, 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here's Nicodemus saying to Jesus, these signs, see, it's not, it's not the word miracle, but in John's gospel, the word signs, semeon, is what is used for miracles. They're signs that to the fact that Jesus is true God. John 2.11. This is the first of his signs. This is changing water to wine. Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So when Jesus does these miracles, then people start believing in him. It's, it's an incentive or an encouragement to faith. And... Um, Acts 2.22, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. See all those words piling up? Mighty works, wonders, signs, all these miracles. What were they doing? Through them, God is, is proving or giving evidence that Jesus really comes from God. So the, so the miracles give evidence of who Jesus is. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. The apostles and others who preached the gospel performed miracles that amazed people and gave confirmation of the gospel that was being preached. Acts 2.43, and awe came upon soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So the, you know, thousands being added to the church in Jerusalem 
But a part of that is that along with the proclamation of the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, the proclamation of the truth of justification by faith alone, God is giving signs or miracles that work in people's lives to attest to the truth of what's being preached. And uh, this isn't just the apostles, because Paul, writing to the churches of Galatia, it's a whole Roman province, Paul's preached the gospel there, he's left, now he's writing to them, and he says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now this is an important verse because sometimes people say, oh well, it's just the apostles who are given this ability to work miracles. And they're just this small, limited group. And, and I say, well, wait a minute. Look at, Paul had already left. There weren't any apostles up there in Galatia. And Paul's writing to a bunch of churches, not just one church, the churches of Galatia. And he's assuming that God is still working among them. This is a present participle in Greek. It is he who is continually, who is going on working miracles among you. How? By hearing with faith. And I think that that, is, that hearing with faith is sort of, when I read the word and I read that these things are happening, that encourages me to believe that, yes, God will often do these things even today. The word of God in this area stirs up my heart to greater faith. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul's writing to Corinth. He's left. There aren't any apostles left there. But he says there are different gifts. There are apostles, prophets, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Well, Paul is, he he's talking, I think, about the theory of the church in general, not just the church at Corinth, but the church in general. It's many parts, like a, a hand, a foot, an eye, and an ear, many parts all working together, one body. And here's part of what God has put in the church is uh, who has gift of miracles. That is, somehow God answers their prayers often. Um, and uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, another, to another is the gift of working of miracles. It seems to be then characteristic of the New Testament church that miracles occur. It seems to be characteristic of the New Testament church that miracles occur. Well, Jesus for himself and then his 12 disciples, and then he appointed 72 others, Luke 10:1, and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he was about to go, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So that when God brought healing to the sick, um, it was a testimony to the truth of the gospel. Well, was it just Jesus and the 12 and the 70? No, miracles were not confined to the 70 disciples, but were characteristic of the churches of Galatia and the New Testament churches generally. I already talked about Galatians 3.5 and 1 Corinthians 12.28, where Paul's just assuming that there are miracles going on in these churches. Point B, this may be seen an indication of the powerful new of the Holy Spirit that began with Pentecost and may be expected to continue through the church age. That is, uh, it wasn't just Jesus, it wasn't just the 72, or it wasn't just the apostles, it was what was going on in the churches generally. Now, um, now, sometimes people say, well, you know, when the purpose was really just to prove the first proclamation of the gospel, because people didn't have the Bible yet, and so they needed these miracles. 
And, and my answer is, you know what? If I look at the New Testament, I don't see just one purpose for miracles. I see several purposes, and I think all of those purposes are valid still today. So, yes, it does authenticate the meaning of the gospel, just like Nicodemus saw the miracles that Jesus was doing. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Or Hebrews 2.4, talking about the gospel being proclaimed. Well, God also bore witness... Um, Let's see. It was proclaimed at first by the Lord and tested to us by those who heard him. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Again, we go over to Hebrews and it looks like when the gospel went out, there were miracles that were happening um, uh, to bring good and bring God's power into people's lives. Now, the question is, do we need that today? Well... <laughs> Why not? I mean, <laughs> and so I, I just, I just wonder, I just wonder if God does send revival among us, if there won't be an increase in. If you want to call it miracles, okay. If you want to call it unusual answers to prayer, remarkable answers to prayer, in which people give glory to God, then that's fine too. Um, but I just wonder if that won't happen, and I. I think in revivals that are occurring in Asia, in Africa, and Latin America, uh, people just get this book and they say, this is going on, let's, let's believe God and it'll go on again. And, it, and God answers. I mean, it's just kind of a very simple faith. And we have sort of a very scientific, materialistic worldview in our culture that makes it, I think, harder for us to just believe that God will often answer prayer. I'm not going to say always, but often. So, yeah, I think we need this to authenticate the message of the gospel. So when I'm sharing with a friend in my neighborhood, when I'm talking about the gospel, and then his daughter, his little daughter, is having scary dreams at night, and I'm sitting on his living room couch, and we're watching a football game together on Sunday afternoon, and I say, oh, could I pray for her, that God would protect her from those dreams? Well, okay, so I just... Say a really quick, non-emotional, like like one-minute prayer, and uh, and the little girl keeps on playing, and she she's just happy for me. And then oh, and then I see him a few couple weeks later. Hey, how's your daughter doing with those dreams? You know what? We're not having any problem with those anymore. So I just that just this idea of that God can use unusual answers to prayer to promote the message of the gospel. That encourages me to pray for the needs of unbelievers in their presence. Just asking that God to do something. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But if he doesn't, at least people find out that I believe that God answers prayer, that I can talk to him right now. That's astounding to some people. And then that I believe that he often answers prayer. Number two, to give evidence that God is truly at work and so serve to advance the gospel. The Samaritan woman, John 4, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? So thereby Jesus' knowledge of her life and speaking to her heart, it gave evidence that he was the Messiah. Um, or, But then no, it wasn't just Jesus, because Philip, who's not an apostle, he goes down to Samaria and they, he starts preaching the gospel and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud, and many who were paralyzed or lame, healed. <clears throat> so there was much in that city. 
Or in Acts 9, when Aeneas was healed, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord again and again. Well, um, I'm going to have to stop right there. Let's take about one or two minutes for questions. This is our early morning where we have to get out because uh, something else comes in here right afterwards. So, John? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Margaret heard, kept having this word anger go around in her mind, would that be called a word of knowledge? Um, some people would call it that. I don't. That's a short answer. Um, I just think, I just say it's something that God brought to mind. And to get way ahead of us many weeks, I think that the word that, that, that Paul would use for that, the New Testament would use for that more is prophecy. That is when something to mind, we just say it. But, but people can call it what they want. It's just, I, I just call it God bringing something to mind right now. Wayne? Uh, the church where, uh, where I was before and other people, like you mentioned, say there, there are no miracles today. Do you know why they say that? Yeah. I should have explained that. It's a big argument, but it's saying basically it's saying miracles were given to prove that this is the Bible when it was first written, to authenticate the canon is kind of the, okay? But now that we've got all the books of the Bible, we've got the book of Revelation, it's done, we don't need any more miracles for that. But my answer is, hey, there are more purposes here. How about to prove that the gospel is true? And to, to help people, I'm going to get to this, to help people's needs. And, you know... Yeah, salvation. Yeah, salvation is a miracle, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, but 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 when it's tied up with the idea that the apostles were unusual, they wrote scripture, and so miracles went along to prove that the Bible was the Bible. Um. Well, that's the argument. Okay. I I I differ with that. So, one or two more. Yeah, I forgot your name. That's Greg. Greg. Um, so in a way, it's kind of like restricted. In a way, small, slightly straight restricted, because obviously there's other false cults that say, you know, there's yep. there's these outside miracles that come in with new gospels. Yep. So you have a parameters. There's yep. always a parameter to maybe the whole package. Yeah, it has to go along with true Absolutely. preaching of the word. Yeah. And and on the next, uh, when we come back uh, to this next, I've got a section on false miracles at the end and how to distinguish and you know, yeah, there's always false doctrine with them. Oh, so this is not, you know, we just keep going from one topic to another where it's easy to distort and get an error on one side or another. Say these things don't happen today or else go off into making too much of a big deal out of them and demanding them from God and, you know, just presuming. I don't, I don't want to go there, so. But there is a balance here, and I want to teach what the Word teaches. Okay. We'll come back to this in three weeks. Ray Barton on Prophecy and End Times Events next week. And Bob Winkler the following week, and then I'm back here the 20th. Anything else, Bob? Pray before we... We passed around lots of envelopes today. Are they all... Don't, don't walk out with them, folks. <laughs> Especially ones that have money in them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, one little postscript. Uh, we do not set up the tables today. We need to move some of the chairs from the back row up in front of the front row right now, and that's all we have to do for today. And don't forget, uh, folks, if you haven't been greeted warmly by our class, over in the corner by the kitchen uh, right after. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to pray, and we're going to skip a hymn today just because this is our short Sunday, but we'll get back to the hymn next time. Garth? 
Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Garth. Last week I made 10 copies. Two weeks ago I made 10 copies of the global warming update, and they all went. The next week I made two, 10 copies, and they all, Garth made them, and they all went. Here's 10 more if you're interested in global warming, in which I don't believe is happening or not any man-made way. That's another issue. Let's, let's pray. Lord, uh, hmm. everywhere we turn in your word, Lord, we are challenged and we thank you for your greatness, for your amazing power, for your love for us and care for us. We thank you for answers to prayer that many of us have seen and sometimes in such unusual ways, Lord, that we would even call it a miracle. And then, Lord, we know, all of us, that there are times when you have not answered prayer and we have cried out to you and you, in your wisdom, have decided to say no. And things have happened that have caused us sorrow and grief and, and, and Lord, especially in areas of physical healing, we know even that there have been members of this class who have, for whom we have prayed and some have been healed and some have gone to be with you and... There are mysteries here, Lord, that we do not fully understand. And yet, Lord, in each of our hearts, now over this next week, as we read your word and think on your work, would you stir up our hearts to greater faith, to greater trust in you, to, to stronger expectation that as we pray according to your will and for your glory, that you will very often grant what we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.